from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. He answered and he said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Again the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into a vessel, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yes, Lord. Then he said unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasures things new and old. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Today, we are resuming our study in the Acts according to the Apostles, or the Acts of the Apostles, and we're ready for chapter 18, which continues to deal with uh, Paul's missionary journey, basically, starting with uh, him visiting Corinth and some other places. Uh, It's not really long this morning. We do get introduced to a couple of characters that you don't really hear a lot about. You're not going to hear them, you know, in Sunday school or anything, but but they're pretty important and pretty prominent for the beginning of the church. And... Uh, let me just give you that rundown real quick. So the people I'm referring to, number one is Aquila and Priscilla. Let me read out of this study Bible here real quick, just to give you a background on them. So Aquila and Priscilla, this husband and wife team were to become Paul's close friends who even risked their lives for him. It says to see Romans 16 uh, verses three and four. Priscilla is listed four times in the scriptures, which can imply that he had a higher social rank than Aquila or that she was more 
or that she was the more prominent of the two in the church. They probably were Christians when Paul met them, having come from Rome, where a church already existed. Um, so, they become close friends. They're tent makers, and you'll. This is where this is the chapter where that that profession is made known. That you know they were tent makers. Paul also was a tent maker by trade, and so that's one of the things that they're doing. There's also this other guy that no one ever talks about. He's mentioned multiple times in the scriptures um, by Paul. He's mentioned in 1 Corinthians uh, like three or four times. He's mentioned in Titus. Um, he's mentioned uh, in Acts 19. And he's mentioned here. And what I love about Apollos is this compliment, which I think is one of the greatest compliments you can get that's given to him by God's word. And it's the only place that this phrase is ever used. And it says that Apollos uh, was mighty in the scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute when we get to it. Mighty in the scriptures. I tell you, if there's a legacy that I could leave behind that people would say about me after I'm gone. I'd love it to be a phrase like that. Mighty in the scriptures. Let's begin. Chapter 18, the book of Acts. Here's what it has to say. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. By the way, please note, Something I've, I've, I was thinking about when I was reading uh, this yesterday morning to prepare was that what we see often is Paul will go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and try to reason with the Jews. And I'm just, I just think that's interesting. And it just shows the difference in culture because could you imagine that happening in the United States in a church? Like somebody just starts showing up on Sunday morning and they're like, hey, do you want to come up and speak? <laughs> and, and does anybody want to come up and speak? And they come up and start reasoning uh, a point of view. Now, I there was some of that if you go way, way back uh, in some of these smaller, like old Baptist churches where multiple people might get up and preach, that kind of thing. But you don't really see that anymore. Now everything's just already kind of laid out, right? Uh, we know there's going to be 30 minutes of worship, and then there's going to be 10 minutes of uh, uh, notes and uh, things to talk, you know, that they'll say is going on in the church, and then there'll be a 45-minute uh, preaching or whatever. Everything's already kind of designed, whereas this is just seems different to me. I don't know. That he would be able to go in every Sabbath and and have a platform to start 
arguing for Jesus. Verse 5, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So please note, that's kind of interesting also. So Silas and Timothy come down from Macedonia, and there it's like he relieves himself from maybe the the preaching itself because it says but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia Paul began devoting himself completely to the word so they probably relieved some of the pastoral duties that he was taking care of so that he could 100% focus on the word and preaching and testifying that Jesus was the Messiah that they were been waiting for verse 6 but when they resisted and blasphemed he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul, In a night... In the night by a vision. Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. So please note the Lord actually appears to Paul, not the first time. Uh, but he appears to him in a vision of the night, which is usually when you have a night vision, what the Bible's talking about is you're having a vision while you sleep. And the Lord encourages him, hey, I've got a lot of people in this city. You don't need to have any fear that you're going to be physically harmed, which for Paul is a, is a reasonable fear, seeing how he's already been beaten and stoned. And, you know, Paul spent, uh, many estimates believe that Paul spent about 25% of his ministry imprisoned that's one out of every four days um that's hard to fathom that's hard to fathom so it's understandable why he might be a little timid right but the lord visits visits him in a night vision and says there's no reason to be afraid i have many people in the city verse 11 and he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of god among them so that's Paul's longest stay, third longest stay was there in Corinthian, in Corinth. The only place he stayed longer uh, would have been Ephesus and, of course, Rome. Verse 12, but while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away. From the judgment seat, and they all took hold of Santhens, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Verse 18 
Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centria, and they had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. All right, please note. He was keeping a vow. It's likely talking about the Nazarene vow. So while he's in Corinth, for whatever that time period was, like over a year, year and six months, uh, he probably had a vow, a Nazarene vow that he had taken, uh, which is just like a... Think of it like it's like a commitment to the Lord, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. It's to show God your gratitude. Um, maybe, maybe he's struggling in Corinth and it's a difficult time. So to show God his gratitude and his commitment to the mission, he takes a Nazarene vow to not cut his hair. Now, most of the time, Nazarene vows were not permanent. It was, it was a temporary thing that you did for a season. But when we think about the Nazarene vow, we think of like Samson, right? Who was a lifelong Nazarene. But that's, that wasn't necessarily the common practice. So Paul, uh, he, was, he had taken a vow. But then when they leave and they head to Syria, Priscilla and Aquila, they, they cut his hair. Verse 19. They came to Ephesus and he left them there. Now himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them, saying, I will return to you again if God wills. He set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. Verse 23. And having spent some time there, he left and he passed successively through the Galatian region of Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. Verse 24, now a, name, now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now that's actually the end of chapter 18, but I kind of want to just take a few minutes and talk about this Apollos guy. Mighty in the scriptures. So he is well trained in the Old Testament. Front and back. Knows the prophecies. Knows the law. He would be very, very difficult to try to have a debate with. Because you will pull out your you know, your your, your thoughts, your ideas, and your doctrines based on, you know, sometimes it's based on human emotion. Sometimes it's based on what you've been taught, what you've been told. But if you try to do that baloney with somebody who's very well versed in the scriptures, they will just start throwing spears at you, right? Just dart after dart after dart of, the, of what the word of God actually says. 
So you can start having your little theological debate or your philosophical debate, but it's going to fall apart when you're dealing with somebody like this, who's mighty in the scriptures. This should be something that we all strive for. Strive to be mighty in the scriptures. So when people try to use the word of God against us uh, to try to justify their own perversions, try to justify their own sinful behavior, try to justify whatever it is, you, we can go to the scripture and be like, boom, this is what it actually says. Not only that, but here's what it actually means. That scripture, that verse that you're using is out of context. Here's what that's actually talking about. Very difficult to debate with somebody like that, to debate with somebody who's mighty in the scriptures. As it says here, um, they, so the, he, he, he wanted to go across to Achaia, and the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he had greatly helped those who believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So he was going to the scriptures and saying, here's all the proof. Now, what's interesting is in the beginning, it says that, so he's mighty in the scriptures, meaning he knows the Old Testament front and back. But as far as his understanding about the Messiah at that time, he only kind of knew what he had learned from John the Baptist. So he was clearly a follower of John the Baptist. That's what it says. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So that's the so he's doing a great job, but he's missing a lot of pieces. And it says that Priscilla and Aquila, and so he was speaking boldly out in the synagogues, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So here's the flip side. Being mighty in the scriptures does not mean being arrogant. Notice that this is a guy who knows the scriptures probably better than anyone that he, that he interacts with. And yet he's humble enough to listen to Priscilla and Aquila who give him the gospel message in a more clear way to understand. So now he not only has his knowledge of scripture, but now he has a better understanding of the way of the Christian faith. And so he's combining those two, and the Jews just cannot do anything against him when it comes to public debate. Like, he is annihilating their arguments in public debate. But he had enough humility that he was still able to learn from other people. It doesn't say that Priscilla and Aquila were mighty in the Scriptures, right? But that doesn't mean that someone like Apollos, a scholar, can't learn from other people. And so, if there's something to be gained or learned from Apollos here in these four, in these few sh short verses, it's that being mighty in the scriptures is extremely important if you want to win people for Christ and you want to overcome arguments. You know, we're supposed to be prepared to uh, explain the hope that we have, right? We, but most Christians, I hate to say it, are just so impotent. 
when it comes to this. What I see when I interact with Christians is they'll say, they'll say, well, the Bible says, but they can't go to the verse or the context of the verse, right? They just have these ideas of what is true. And a lot of times they believe things that aren't even in the Bible. Where they'll make arguments. Well, the Bible says, and I have to be like, uh, really? Does it really say that? Where? Of course, I know that it doesn't say that, right? Or if it says something like that, usually I know where it says it and what the context is. This is extremely important if you're going to dare teach the Word of God. Or engage in conversations where there could be debate. Online, you'll see a lot of people... They'll try to use the scriptures um, as a weapon. And I'm talking about non-believers. Okay, so they'll go on and they'll create these little TikTok videos or whatever they do. And talk about how Jesus never talks about sexual sin, homosexuality, never talks about abortion and all these things. And try to use that as a reason why we shouldn't be opposed to it. Of course, we know that all those things are addressed multiple times in both the New and the Old Testament. And that Jesus not bringing up the obvious doesn't mean that the Word of God doesn't address it a hundred times somewhere else. But see, these are the kind of games that people will play, and they can be played on those who are not well studied in the Scriptures. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you don't have an excuse now to not know what the Word of God says. Because no generation, we can argue and people will talk about how we're in the end times and all those things and how awful the world is. And all those things may be true. But in spite of that, there's still never been a generation more blessed when it comes to access to God's Word. No generation has ever had the tools that we have never in the history of humanity if there's ever been a time in the history of humanity where God's people have no excuse to not know what his word says it's right now anybody in most parts of the world there's so, there's certain places in the world okay where it's very difficult and I acknowledge that but for a majority of the world, you can get access to a Bible. Uh, if you have access to the internet, you have access to the Bible and all the tools and all the cross-references and all the commentaries and podcasts. And there's no excuse. So I'll just end by saying that if there's a phrase that I would love to be said about me, it's the phrase that's only used one time for a certain Jew named Apollos. He was mighty in the scriptures. Thanks for listening this morning. Uh, I apologize that most of it was ranting and not being able to find the words that I want to say because it's early and I'm still trying to wake up. But I pray that you've been blessed and uh, encouraged and strengthened by the podcast this morning. Please consider supporting this work and, and what I do here. You can do that by going to scriptureandprophecy.com where the links are in the descriptions on the YouTube channel. I appreciate your prayers and your support. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.